2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey,
3: it's Buck Sexton, and you're listening to The Carol Markowitz Show on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Podcast Network.
4: Hi, and welcome back to The Carol Markowitz Show. This is not going to be a political show. It was important to me that this show be on bigger topics and not just news of the day. But the news right now is extremely personal to me, and so I have to say something about it. On Saturday morning, Israel was attacked. I'm sure you've seen the horrifying videos and stories. I'm not going to go over any of that. I've barely slept since Saturday. The images, they really stay on my mind. We're just getting to know each other on this podcast, so I wanted to tell you a little bit more about myself. I mentioned last episode that I was born in the Soviet Union. I'm Jewish, and that's actually how my family was able to get out. I won't go into the whole history, but I do enjoy noting that my family owes their freedom to President Gerald Ford. He negotiated for Jews to be let out of the Soviet Union because we were being persecuted for our religion. We couldn't hold various jobs, live in certain places, and so on. I feel like people sometimes don't understand that Judaism is a religion, yes, but we are also a people. That's why I can take a DNA test and find out that I'm Jewish, but you can't similarly take a DNA test for other faiths and find out that you're Catholic or Muslim or something. So in the Soviet Union, we were Jews as our nationality. That's what it said on our papers. It wasn't like you could convert out of it. Some of you might know Jews from the Soviet Union who live in America and refer to themselves as Russian, maybe not recently, but then you come to find out they were born in Ukraine or Belarus or elsewhere. But that's because we were never Russian or Ukrainian or Belarusian. We were just Jews. My family moved to Brooklyn, New York, when I was a small child. And despite the fact that my parents were both atheists because again, Soviet, I went to an Orthodox Jewish school for the first eight years of my life. I mentioned that because I want to give you some insight into what little Jewish kids learn in Brooklyn all day. We learned about peace. Our songs were about making peace. We read books about peace. We prayed for peace. I've been lucky in some ways because my ex-Soviet world and my politically conservative world and my Florida world are all overwhelmingly pro-Israel. So I never fear in speaking out that I'm going to lose friends or something. And while I notice the silence of some people I follow, I really don't have anyone in my life arguing that murdering babies or kidnapping grandmas is just to be expected. And honestly, I know some Jews are angry about it, but I somewhat understand the people who are not speaking out. If you're not Jewish and you want to stay out of it, I get it. You can feel disgusted by the images of dead bodies at a music festival, but not take to Facebook to let your friends know how you feel. It's understandable. But I am Jewish and I can't stay out of it. I can't be quiet. Those dead people are me. I see my children's faces in the faces of the kids that were taken. I won't pretend otherwise. I can't. Of course, if you comment on every single other catastrophe around the world and are suddenly silent on this, yes, we notice. And there are a lot of people like that. Big time activists for every cause who care a lot about everything except dead Jews. We notice One of the things that is hard about this current moment is that people hear your support for Israel or just general opposition to rape and slaughter and immediately imagine you're pushing a policy position. I'm sure there are people who want the US to get involved in Israel's fight. I'm not one of them. I think Israel can handle her own business and will. Understand that you're being lied to if you hear that Jews in general, or Israelis in particular, are asking for American involvement, it's simply untrue. We're afraid right now. I always saw America as a safe haven for Jews, and I always referred to American Jews like myself as the luckiest Jews in history. But I'm not gonna lie, it's been a tough few years. There was a moment when there were attacks on Jews every day, and so many people rushed to excuse them. It was happening in Brooklyn daily, and even other Jews shrugged. I remember Kanye West said Hitler was right, and way too many people invited him on their shows to hear more about that. It hasn't felt great. If you have Jews in your life, understand that they are really going through something right now. None of us are functioning well, all of us are afraid. Good people have asked what they can do and how they can help. There are Israeli charities you can support. I've listed some on my Twitter. You can check in with your Jewish friends, especially if they have family in Israel, which many of us do. Another thing is if you go shooting, offer to take your Jewish friend. Silly as that may sound, many of us didn't grow up in a shooting culture, and many of us are very interested in protecting ourselves but don't know exactly how. Listen, I want my kids to sing those songs of peace, and I want them to work for peace, but I'm also going to teach them how to shoot as soon as they are old enough, and I'm never going to cower to people who hate us for an identity we couldn't shed if we wanted to. So that's it. This is a podcast about life, and this is what's going on in my life right now. Coming up next is an interview I did with Clay Travis, recorded before the war in Israel began. Join us
0: after the break.
1: kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals join me on the dark side of sports by listening to playing dirty sports scandals on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
4: my guest today is my friend clay travis co-host of the clay travis and buck sexton show and author of the best-selling book american playbook hi clay
3: how are you, Carol? I appreciate you having me on. Yes, I've got my own copy. I hope you're enjoying it. It's supposed to be a fun uh, read, and so I hope you're enjoying it. I hope anybody else who's reading it. I
4: am. I haven't reached the, the part where you are <laughs> insulting the Dallas Cowboys yet. I'm
3: always thinking like, hey, uh, can I write an entertaining book for people who might not otherwise be interested in a politics book? And uh, I like to think that, uh, that I have done so. Right. So we'll see whether or not uh, that continues to be the case. Yeah.
4: I mean, I'm loving it. And, you know, I, I mean, let's just get right into it. But, you know, you mentioned in your book that you're a history nerd. And, you know, this is something that I did know about you already. I have two sons and, you know, one is a, a sports kid, you know, a superstar in football and can name every player on every team. And the other one is super into history. I've really never seen anybody kind of merge those two interests. Do you feel like you're unique in that way?
3: I, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I've always been uh, obsessed with sports and also obsessed with history my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. When I was six years old, I don't think this is in the book, but uh, what I wanted to do for my sixth birthday was go to the Alamo. Uh, so my dad took me to the mm-hmm. Alamo. Um, I wanted to go to every Civil War battlefield growing up uh, and and read everything about the Civil War also. Um, and when you're a kid, I think you think, whatever you do is normal Um, and then you get to be an adult and you raise your own kids and you're like yeah knowing everything (laughs) about the Alamo when you're six years old is not like a normal thing right and also simultaneously knowing everything about let's say SEC football and Major League Baseball when you're six Um, but uh, I I don't know where that all came from I was always a massive reader and uh, you know I, I would say maybe the reading thing was abnormal but of being obsessed with sports meant that I could be anybody on the planet who likes sports. And I felt like I had right. always that, that dichotomy where you could have, like, sort of a super nerdy interest. As I know, I say this in the book because my wife still refuses to believe that she married somebody who went to Civil War sleepaway camp and had kids with them. Uh, and oh, no. Uh,
4: I didn't know there uh, was yeah, a Civil well, War I mean, sleepaway camp, I think. Um, <laughs> the
3: scholarship kid to Civil War sleepaway camp is a different universe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that um, that, that whole aspect, uh, to me, kind of always felt intertwined. And uh, I see it in my kids. Uh, my oldest in particular is a monster sports fan. He's also great at debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and, and I, whereas I was super interested in the Civil War, When he was young, he was very, very interested in World War II, and he would read everything about World War II. And so I saw – I don't know where that Mm -hmm. comes from, but I saw that a little bit in him, and I said, okay, this kind of uh, is in some way a reflection, I think, of me.
4: Wow. So you have the biggest radio show in the country. Did you always want to be in radio?
3: No. I didn't. uh, I didn't. Look, uh, I, growing up, listened to sports talk radio as a young kid. Mm -hmm. And so when I, my dad would pick me up at school or whatever, what we did when we were driving home, but it's funny. Uh, I had my, he just turned nine, but I had my eight year old in the car recently and I was listening to sports talk radio and he just reminds me a lot of me as well. But he said, dad, can you believe there's a radio station where all they do is talk about sports? Like that's the best thing ever. And you know, like he'll just sit there and listen to it and he knows all the players and they got the yeah. fantasy football teams and everything else. Um, so I was interested in radio. Like, as a kid, uh, I called in to local sports talk radio to talk about whatever the top. I mean, I'd sit on wait on hold for 45 awesome. minutes to an <laughs> hour or whatever and be super nervous. Uh, so I was interested and aware of sports talk radio. But, you know, then I went to college and then I went to law school. And so I thought that I would do something with the law degree. Mm-hmm. And I had what I would call a quarter life crisis where I was in my law firm and I was 25 years old and I just almost had like this panic attack come over me because I was like, Oh my God, this could be the next 40 years of my life. So I thought writing that I would, my goal was to make a living as a writer. And in my mind, I I do writing and radio and TV. I still think of myself as a writer, even though it's a small part of what I do on a day-to-day basis now. But that yeah. was my love. So I would have said, if you'd know, if you been talking to me when uh, when I was 15, and if you'd said, Clay, what do you want to do when you grow up? If you had told me that I could make a living as a writer, I'd be like, that's the greatest job in the history of the world. And I went and got a law degree, but I also got an MFA in creative thought that I would like to teach creative writing. Um, in, wow. Uh, that I would like to teach creative writing. As the way in which that uh, that I would make a living and I taught creative writing at Vanderbilt and I still Mm -hmm. think that I minored in creative writing in college. I still think that's probably one of the best jobs out there to live on a college campus and just get to teach kids writing uh, creative writing in particular. Uh, but, uh, Mm But so I probably would have said at 15 what do you want to do. Uh, If I could make a living as a writer, either I would have probably said fiction at that point in time because I'd always been a huge reader. Uh, But that's probably what I would have thought I I would do. I never really thought radio or television or anything like that was was Mm -hmm. likely to be a career path.
4: Do you feel like you've made it?
3: So, no. uh, But yes, in some ways. Let me explain what I mean by that. About a decade ago, I was at a minor league baseball game, AAA, which is one level below the major leagues, and mm-hmm. I remember feeling like I was a AAA media talent. I felt like I could be a major league player, but I was doing local sports talk radio in Nashville. I was running right. uh, my own website at the time, Outkick, but I wasn't a major heard league- of it. Yeah, I wasn't a major league player yet, but I felt like I had mm-hmm. the talent to be in the major leagues. I feel like I'm in the major leagues, and that's great because I don't have to worry about paying my mortgage or uh, whether right. my kids can afford to go to college. Like Those things are great, but I still feel like I'm not at the top-level performance that I can be. So I feel like maybe I'm in major leagues, and I still can prove that I'm an all-star. And so, uh, so yeah. I feel like I'm fortunate to be in the major leagues, but I don't feel like uh, I've reached uh, you know the apex ability of what I could could accomplish.
4: What's it like living a public life? Like do you get recognized everywhere you go and like what you know any, any hate or it's, it it's mostly positive.
3: positive where I live. Now remember I live in Nashville um, and uh, I think that's probably different than if I lived in New York or LA. maybe the reactions would be uh, right. would be different. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think about it more in the context of my kids. Uh, because they're getting old enough now where they recognize that dad doesn't have a normal job. And like I had a conversation with them the other day where I said, hey, you know, you're getting old enough where you may hear people say things about what I do or what I say. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's great. You know, I'm fortunate to get to be able to say exactly what I think. But I said, all I ever want you guys to do is judge me on dad like Don't let anybody else, what they're saying publicly about anything that I do, you know me better than anybody who's going to write about me. You live in the house with me. If I'm doing a good job as dad, which is my goal, then -hmm. judge me on that. Everybody has jobs. The job you can be good at or bad at. The praise can come or go. You asked about whether I feel like I've made it. What I would say, and I bet you've seen this, too, is media careers are very much like roller coasters, like. You're really high up and you think, oh, man, everything's going great. And then somebody, like, <laughs> yeah. you'll you lose something and you go back down and then you mm-hmm. climb your way back up. And then I've just seen uh, at, you know, I've been in, in media for 20 years now, uh, you know, a generation. Right. And I've just seen that happen mm-hmm. so many times where you think, oh, uh, this is really great. And then you get fired <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> work, you know, as hard as you yeah. can. And then, you know, it may not be anything that you did, you know, like I started OutKick because Fan House shut down the site that i was at i loved it i -hmm. would have kept doing it for the rest of my life so i just think you have to um the thing that i would say i'm proud of is i think i'm a pretty good dad i'm not as good of a dad as my dad was he was phenomenal but i think i'm a pretty good dad uh and Mm -hmm. i think i'm an okay husband um and i've been married almost 20 years (laughs) and i think i'm pretty good at radio writing and tv Um, And so when you ask, I think it's such a good question. Do you feel like you've made it? Here's a way that I would think about it. If I could go back in time right now, would I change anything? My answer is no, because I'm very comfortable with where I am today. That doesn't mean I've not made a lot of mistakes. It doesn't mean that I'm not incredibly flawed and imperfect like every person out there. But I'm very comfortable in my own skin and with where I am today today and I wouldn't want to change anything. Like I wouldn't want to not go to law school or I wouldn't want to go to a different college or Mm -hmm. certainly I wouldn't want to, you know, not get married. I got married at 25 years old. Like I wouldn't change Mm -hmm. anything. I I would, the only thing I I would, I would love to have had more kids. Uh, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to have any more. I think we got three. I feel happy uh, that we have three healthy and happy kids Mm -hmm. right now, but you know, Other than, like, I would like to have five or six kids because I've got the ability to take care of them. And I think they're so amazing and so unique, as I know you know as a parent. Uh, But other than that, I wouldn't, there's not really anything in my life that, uh, and I fought for us to have three. So I feel like I won that battle. Mm -hmm. My wife, I think, would have said stayed at two. Uh, But I would have had four, five, or six if the timing had worked out a little bit different.
4: Well, it's, it's funny because in the book you say I don't think I'm going to have a daughter, and I was like, he's <laughs> thinking about possibly having a fourth. Oh,
3: I, I <laughs> say to my wife all the time, like you're not too old. Because you, the- you,
4: see, you know, I don't think. I mean, that, I mean, that's a maybe.
3: It's a maybe for me. It's a no for her. So, uh, so, and usually, uh, mom wins uh, in these battles because having a child for me is a lot less work than having a child for her, as I will readily acknowledge. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I would, I would, I think it would have been cool to have a daughter and see what it's like to raise a daughter compared to having, you know, three boys. I'm very happy to have three boys. thankful that I don't have three Mm -hmm. girls, trust me. Uh, But I would like to have had three boys and maybe a girl too.
4: All right. Well, I was going to ask you how long you've been married. You said almost 20 years. Do you have any advice for newlyweds?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Um,
4: I mean, your co-host is a newlywed. Have you yeah, we've not talked advice? about this Buck? with
3: Buck. I mean, because Buck's in a unique spot because he didn't get married till after he was 40. And, you know, men get so set in their ways that I think it's actually more mm-hmm. challenging for men if they stay single for that long to get married than it is. Um, depending on how old your husband is, I think women are way more mature than men. And what I mean by that is...
1: Like a lot of the whole,
3: the whole marital process, like I never really Mm -hmm. just thought about it that much. Like, I I feel like, um, you know, for instance, the age at which you should have kids. My wife just said she's two years older than me. She was like, yeah, we're going to start trying to have kids now. And like, as a man, I think because you have the luxury of like, you could have a kid at 60, right? Probably not advisable, but you could like, so the the clocks are different for women than men. Um, And so uh, uh, I would say um, women probably need, in my opinion, to be more lenient with men, uh, particularly early in marriage, because they're not what you want them to be. What I have come to find out is most (laughs) most men, when they get married, in my experience, would love for their wives to stay the exact same forever. Right. Uh, especially if you're getting married young. We would like, we Uh we love everything about you. Uh, We would like for you to be eternally the exact same way you are right now. Every Mm -hmm. woman basically gets married to a guy, in my experience, (laughs) with the idea being, he's okay, but I'm gonna, you know, like women go into like, hey, I'm gonna rehab this Yeah, we see
4: potential, yeah.
3: (laughs) You guys invest in potential, men invest in the reality Mm -hmm. of now. And so men are very comfortable, (laughs) I think, oftentimes in the now. And women are very comfortable with Mm -hmm. the, he's just kind of okay now, but in 10 years, he can be a good dad. I think he's going to have a good future. Like, that's what I'm saying about you guys see a longer trajectory and range Mm -hmm. than I think a lot of men do. And I'll give you an easy example. Every man, when they get engaged, has no idea what the next step is. Every woman is like ready to figure out every aspect of the marriage. Within like in terms of the ceremony and everything else, where it should happen, what the time is, or, you know, it gets on the phone with her mom. And like, it's it's like the whole apparatus is moving in place because you guys have all been thinking about it. I can barely even, you know, like conceive of all the details that were involved. So I just think women uh, are way more involved.
4: I, I wasn't one of those women who had thought about what her wedding would be like. And that was a mistake because you can't figure it out in a short period of time. You need those years of planning, like, which I realized, you know, I realized in retrospect, I did, hadn't done. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's the right way to go that women think about it for a long time before. And then you get to the most expensive event of your life and you kind of know what you're. Yeah. And the for. other
3: thing I would say was I was very conscious of what I wanted, I wanted, good looking and super smart. Those were my two criteria. Right. And I think I went, I I hit a home run on that, but
4: you got um, it. I think
3: a lot of men focus on the good looking and they don't necessarily focus on the like idea of, Hey, you're potentially going to be having children with this person. Like I I want, you know, the, the offspring to also be successful. So, um, you know, and, and also thinking about what, what, not, what not
4: pretty yeah, dumb, offspring. yeah, what
3: kind of mom uh, your, your, your okay. potential significant other would be. So, I would say to men, focus less on the immediate, oh, she's really pretty, I really mm-hmm. like her right now, and more on, okay, 10 years, 20 years, what's the trajectory?
4: So, the yeah. potential, right? I think, you I want them to think focus about the, more potential, on the potential, right? Than we do, mm-hmm. yeah. So, what do you think are like some of our largest societal problems in America? Like, what do you worry about for your kids? Um,
3: Yeah, so my, my thing that I hammer home to my boys, and I try to say this every time I go talk to young audiences, is focus on what you can control. I'm big on individual responsibility, but also just the only thing you can really control is your work ethic. You can't control how the world around you responds to you. But I can control that I work super hard every day. So I say, graduate from high school. These are minimum standards, by the way. But if every kid could do this, I think the country would be far better. Graduate from high school. um, uh, uh, Get a job. Get married. Don't have a kid until you're 25. White, black, Asian, Hispanic, gay, straight, male, female. If you do that, your poverty rate is zero, no matter how poor your family circumstances were for your upbringing and then you can provide a better opportunity for your kids that would be my my pitch my concern and i write about this a lot in the book is that we have allowed identity politics to completely take over our body politic and what i mean by that is Mm -hmm. you'll often hear somebody say hey as a transgender woman i believe and I always think, like, if you put your identity in front of your opinion, why should I care? Your opinion yeah. either valid and a right. good argument or it's not. I don't care about the things you didn't control. And I'm concerned that mm-hmm. when we were growing up, because you're around my age, it seemed like what we were taught was most people are pretty similar. Right. Whether despite your background, yeah, sure. your common mm-hmm. humanity in America, most people are pretty similar. And now, I think what we're often teaching kids is you're all very dissimilar, and that's because of things you didn't choose, as opposed to things you did choose. Like the idea that uh, that your race and your uh, your your mm-hmm. gender, to me, are two of the least interesting things about people. Um, the things that you don't the things that you don't choose uh, are, uh, are are far more interesting to me uh so far less interesting to me than things that you do choose and i think we focus on nice. identity over right. everything else
4: so is that solvable is that
3: yeah i, I mean, think it what,
4: is- what would clay travis i, I world think do? It,
3: we have to have a landslide election um and we have to have somebody who mm-hmm. can speak to uh and i think we're starting to see it right because the argument when trump won in 16 was oh he's super racist and republicans are doomed forever to only have white voters and then what's happened? Uh, Hispanic, mm-hmm. Asian and black voters have actually become more likely to vote Republican in 2020 and in 2022 than they were before Trump. Right. Because I think the fundamental lie that mm-hmm. Democrats and I should say leftists because there's some Democrats who would reject this. But the fundamental lie that Democrats tell is that America is an awful racist place. And that's just simply not true.
4: right. That pe- brown people are dying to literally get every day.
3: <laughs> black and brown people <laughs> yeah. die trying to get into this country. Mm-hmm. If this were the most racist country out there, their decision to right. do that would make zero Why? sense. So I think that's the yeah. fundamental lie mm-hmm. uh, that Democrats have bought into. And I think it's rooted in identity politics because this idea that all white men are evil. I, <laughs> I used to joke, and I still do make this joke right. occasionally, but like, I picked the worst time ever to become a rich white guy. Like for, for basically all <laughs> of American history, if you're a rich white guy, yeah. like everything you were... like you were the best person ever right. and now great. i suddenly i was yeah. poor my mm-hmm. family was poor you know basically our whole life and now i'm a rich white guy like Bad's you're timing. evil how yeah. dare you be a rich white guy you're you've <laughs> done every you're everything that's wrong with america i'm like i went to public school i didn't even grow up in a good part of nashville
4: yeah end here with uh, your best tip for my listeners on how they can improve their lives? What's, what's the advice that you think people should follow to make their lives better?
3: I think it has to be that you completely own your own success or failure. Um, and whatever you find that you have a skill in, that you enjoy spending time in. Uh, I said I had a quarter-life crisis. Being a lawyer is not an awful job. My, my grandfather's worked in factories their whole lives. There are a lot of bad jobs, trust me, Mm -hmm. I know. And a lot of jobs that stink and also don't pay well, which is a double combo. Um, But I think if you can find something that you don't look at the clock while you do, over time you will win if you can find a way to do that. I looked at the clock all the time when I practiced law. I couldn't wait for for the day to be Mm -hmm. over so I could leave and no longer be required to be practicing law. Um, I don't look at the clock when I sit down and write. I don't really look at the clock other than to make Mm -hmm. sure we hit time breaks when I sit down to do radio. I haven't looked at the clock for this entire conversation that you and I are having. Um, (laughs) That's because I enjoy it. And, And I think you can't fake enjoyment because over time, if you like what you do, you will be more successful at that than someone who does not like what they do. So if if you can mirror your, uh, your avocation with, uh, with something that you enjoy spending time doing, you're going to be successful in it. I also would say this, figure out if you have a job, look and see what your boss's boss does. If you don't think that you would like to do what your boss's boss does, then you probably shouldn't be in that profession because what are you building toward with? That's really great um, advice. I, I think, you know, like mm-hmm. in the law firm, I'd be like, oh, the name partner, well, he just gets paid more to do basically the same thing that I do now. I was in a small law firm, so I could see mm-hmm. kind of what they did. Um, that wasn't for me. Doesn't mean I couldn't have been successful at it, but ultimately I would have never succeeded like someone who loved it. And I think the reason I've had success in media is because I genuinely love what I get to do. And a final, final way. Thank final you way so much, putting,
4: Clay. That was yeah, really final great Final
3: way answer. of putting this too, by the way, Carol, would be
2: uh-huh.
3: when I sold out Kick two years ago, um, I feel like I kind of won the lottery. And I think everybody sits around and thinks, oh, what would I do if I won the lottery? How would I spend my life? Like everybody has had that mm-hmm. fantasy and everybody's played through it. That's the entire basis of why the lottery works as a business, right? It's that fantasy fulfillment. To me, the ultimate answer is, I would wake up and keep doing what I'm already doing. If you answer that, then you are living a life that you can be, I think successful and proud and happy in. And I felt like I I had that experience where I woke up. Okay. I won the lottery. I've got money. I've got the ability to do lots of things. What do I want to do? Oh, wait, I want to keep doing exactly what I'm already doing. I think that's why I ended up winning the lottery because I had already worked myself into a place where I was so happy doing what I was doing.
4: Thank you so much. I really love that answer. That's some really great advice. I think our listeners should uh, definitely listen to that. Thank you, Clay, for coming on. Loved having you. And please come back anytime. Keep
3: up. By the way, you are killing it. I love reading your columns. You Thank are you. super talented. It's your show. You probably shouldn't <laughs> expect to get praised all the times by the guests. But I Thank am you. really <laughs> impressed with, uh, with how, uh, how talented you are, the work that you are doing. The only negative thing I can say is that your poor (laughs) Cowboy fan son is going to be miserable for most of his life because he's a Cowboys fan. I
4: I really hope we play the Titans sometime real soon.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Titans fans are definitely miserable. We're screwed.
5: (laughs) Thanks, Clay. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast,
2: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Thanks so much, Clay Travis, for joining The Carol Markowitz Show. We'll see you again on Mondays and Thursdays. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.